0: Please join with me in today's scripture reading from John 20, verses 11 through 18. In our pew Bibles, this is on page 906. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbinai, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord.
1: He is risen. He is uh, Good Friday was awesome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for arranging all of that and putting that together. Um, uh, she she deserves all that credit I had nothing to do with it and nor did any of the other staff or elder. like she did she did it also thank you Steph so much for that at that time we had this cross here for you guys to put any prayers that you wanted to put on the cross those things that are just weighing you down those things that you just are having a hard time letting go of this is just to kind of symbolically put it there and uh, we, we want to commit them to prayer Um. Looking at the Gospel of John, the last of the Gospels written, and this is how the Gospel of John begins. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it." This theme of light and darkness is portrayed throughout the first 12 chapters in the Gospel of John. And If you simply do a word study on light and on darkness, when you put in the word light on this word study, it will appear 24 times within these first 12 chapters. The word darkness appears seven times in these first 12 chapters. This kind of summates it here in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus said, "'I am the light of the world. "'Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, "'but will have light of life.'" Then in chapter 13, things start changing. They start taking this dark turn. That is when the feast of the Passover supper was happening, and this is when the devil had already entered into the heart of Judas Iscariot, to betray Jesus, and so this darkness, quite literally being supper, as well as figuratively, begin to fall on that evening. And by the time we get to chapters 18 and 19 in the Gospel of John, it's total darkness. Again, if you were at our Good Friday service, at the end of the service there was this singular beat of the drum that so strongly symbolized this sort of darkness for me this this period and that verse that began resonating with me during that last drumbeat on Good Friday was John chapter 19 verse 42 and it reads this so because of the Jewish day of preparation since the tomb was close at hand they laid Jesus there pretty final that Friday and then looking to today Easter Sunday we celebrate that finality of death in the resurrection of today. In John chapter 20, when that last beat of the drum kind of changes from that morning to a time of celebrating, from this darkness to light, where that light pierces the darkness of a tomb. And the first person to witness this light, this resurrection from the dead of Jesus Christ, Mary Magdalene. She's the first witness of the resurrected Christ, the first eyewitness of the risen Christ, the Savior, the first who can testify that Jesus Christ is indeed light of the world as he claimed to be. Now this first-hand eyewitness is a woman. And why is this significant? Because in a Jewish court of law, back in the first century, a, f- a woman's testimony was null and void. It was not allowed in court. It was thrown out of court. It was an unacceptable testimony, even though it's a first-hand experience by a person. And so when we look at Christ and who he's showing himself to first, and we know him to be that of a person who is ministering, loving, serving, caring for the least Of these he first appears to a woman. Now if John wanted to simply just convince the world to accept a first-hand eyewitness testimony it would have been so much easier if he would have just put himself or if he would have put Peter I mean himself because he puts himself in there like I beat Peter in a race guys like you know like he could have put himself but it just simply wouldn't be true It's not what happened. Now, why Mary Magdalene? Because if Jesus was to show himself risen to any other Mary, I mean, I I find it kind of strange that it's her because uh, his mom. Why won't you show yourself to your mom? Or there's another Mary that's of more prominence, too. I don't know if you remember Mary of Bethany. A very good friend of Jesus, you know, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, he visited Bethany quite often. Uh, It was essentially his second home, uh, and he would visit them quite often. Very close friends, but it's, it's not Mary, his mom. It's not Mary of Bethany. It's Mary Magdalene, who is the first witness in chapter 20, and who is announcing this in verse 18 of chapter 20. Mary Magdalene is the first person whose faith in the resurrection is solidified through her eyewitness experience in witnessing Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Now, none of this is coincidental. None of this is accidental. Jesus showed himself to her first. Not Peter, not John, not any other disciple, not his mother, Mary Magdalene. It's strange. Because why not his mom? Why not the closest disciples to him? Why not his closer friends? Why this lady? It's Mary Magdalene because out of all the people who were around the cross, around that tomb, that the Easter message shines most vividly in us every day, least of these people. In her we find the gospel of knowing the risen Christ and where we are brought to this saving faith in him. And so how so? You look back in verse 1 and, and, you, and you read this, that she's the one who comes in darkness to visit the tomb. Verse 1, Now on the first day of the week Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb Mary herself was someone who was delivered by Jesus from darkness. Take a look at Mark chapter 16 verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week he appeared first to Mary Magdalene from whom he had cast out seven demons. Now Mary Magdalene was part of that early group of supporter in Jesus' ministry where it was a group of of people, predominantly women, who were supporting this ministry, feeding at least 13 grown men every day for three years, unless they were fasting and they probably rejoiced in the days that they fasted. But they were associated with supporting this entire ministry. So all the expenses that you can think of during that time frame, it's not just food, right? Any of you who have gone camping, you know there's a lot of planning. So it's not just a little bit of money, and it's also out of her own means. She supported the mission of Jesus out of her own means. Now sometimes people confuse Mary Magdalene with the women who wash Jesus' feet with her hair, or she's confused with being a prostitute. It's not one of those ladies. This is Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was like many of you here who serve and minister here at Regeneration, where you serve the Lord, you are faithful, and you have dark spots. You have dark spots in your history, or perhaps you're going through dark spots now, that those dark spots that Jesus has cleansed, they're no longer with you, and you know that. And just like this Mary Magdalene, you are not remembered for those seven demons exercised from you, right? Maybe for some of you, you remember that that's her, but... Probably for some of you, you're like, oh, that happened to her? like you, you don't think about her in that way. Now, there are people in the Bible where that dark past is never washed clean. For example, if I throw out the name Judas Iscariot to you, that's a dark spot. Forever on him as one who betrayed Jesus Christ. Never to be washed clean. But when we look at Mary Magdalene, You don't instantly think of, oh yeah, the woman who had seven demons that possessed her. That's you. That's me. Who have been cleansed by Jesus Christ. When people think of you and me, when they know that how Jesus Christ has transformed us, they don't think about whatever those dark spots are on you anymore. And we think of her as being in light. Why Mary Magdalene? She's like you and she's like me. She's not Jesus' mother. She's not one of the 12 disciples. She's not one of Jesus' closest friends who gets visits from him when he's in town, like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. She's just like us people who have our own dark spots, who have been brought into the light, and we are looked upon as new, pure, holy, holy, And where his light shines on us brighter than what we had in the past with those dark spots. Now something interesting about those possessed by demons. You don't find them coming to Jesus looking for help. You read throughout the Bible and those possessed by demons... That there is somebody else who intercedes on their behalf. They don't go to Jesus looking for Jesus themselves. Someone has to intercede on Mary Magdalene's behalf for her to be freed from that darkness, that she was possessed by another God, she was possessed by an idol, that she needed to be set free from that bondage. And this is each one of us possessed by some idol. Tied down to some sort of darkness that we aren't able to completely free ourselves from. And then there's this participation we have with God to intercede on behalf of others, as Mary Magdalene did in support of ministry, to set them free from darkness and to also bring them to light. I so appreciate Lent, I so appreciate Good Friday because it helps us to see Easter more clearly. Even for children. My daughters all choose something to abstain from during Lent, and so 40 days is a long time for a pre-adolescent to give up sugar. Like, it's really tough. It's very hard for a pre-adolescent to give up junk food, chips, popcorn, things like that, right? So each one of them selects a different thing, and I agree. Whatever you guys select, I'm doing with you. So I get four <laughs> from them, and then I get my own, and then I choose my own. So I get five things that I abstained from during that Lent season. So when we came out of Lent at the end of April 14th, I know that date very well because they're counting down the days. Sugar! <laughs> and I say... One thing. One thing. So um, my, my second daughter, she chose true fruits from Costco. I was kind of proud. Right? I was like, oh, true fruit. There's a fruit inside that chocolate, so that's, that's good. And then uh, my third one chose egg rolls and, and, you know, various things. So I didn't have any of it still. I I feel good not eating that stuff, so we're going to keep it going. But it helps them to see Easter more clearly also because they were going through this kind of abstaining and self-sacrifice and not going through those things. And it's a very simple thing of abstaining to be able to experience and feel that sense of I'm losing something and then I'm... but I see Easter more clearly because I saw what I just lost and like I'm gaining it back and then to transfer that over to something more spiritual. And so I love that time of Lent and in terms of that Good Friday, because it's bringing me back to this sense of mourning and the sense of sadness that also helps me to experience the greater hope of today that we have in Jesus. That if you were here on Friday and that you can put these things on the cross, that today, hopefully, you can empathize with those who put something on here. And you can sympathize with them. And you can bear their burden with them. And you can feel their despair and to experience their sadness and to be able to remember when you were in darkness and how much others need the light of Jesus of today. And so Mary Magdalene, she kind of circles back. She goes to the tomb a second time and she, like the other believers in Jesus, are not only just sad and grieved, but they're also really, really disappointed because they thought Jesus was the Messiah. They thought that He was going to be the one to deliver them from this Roman oppression. They thought that, you know, this guy is the Savior that all the prophets were writing about. And the first time she went to the tomb, she saw that it was empty. And I wonder if at that time, she just went there to speak her mind to Jesus like many people do when they visit a loved one's gravesite. And they say things to that gravesite or to that loved one that they weren't able to say before, like, maybe you didn't get a chance to say I love you enough. Or maybe there were some things that you wanted to say sorry about that you didn't get a chance to say. And I think that that first time I wonder if it was just her going back and trying to think about the things that she she should have said or to say like, I should have stood up for you. I should have said something. I'm sorry about that. I just wonder about all those different things. And then she goes there and she sees that it's empty. And so the disappointment upon disappointment. And to think back that this is a woman who gave everything to Jesus because Jesus delivered her from seven demons. Like, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't give everything back if your life was saved? And so she did everything she could to support his ministry, and she's thinking, you you delivered me. I'm giving you everything back. But now what? You're dead. You're not around anymore. And then to also think about, you know what? When those seven demons plagued me, what if they come back? And there might be a lot of you also where you're wondering, you have these demons in your life, and you're just wondering: like, I'm, I'm a Christ follower, but what if those demons come back in my life? And all of these thoughts and all of these. Feelings flooding her mind and her very being. And then she sees these two angels. And they say the most unsympathetic thing ever to somebody who's grieving. Look at chapter 20, verse 13. Woman, why are you weeping? I'm at a grave site, you idiot. Like, what do you think? Like, what do you think? Why am I weeping? Like, what do you do? Throw parties here? Like, you know, but... We have to be considerate. These are angels, not people, so don't expect people's skills, so just it's cool. It's, they're angels. But it's very evident that Mary Magdalene loved Jesus, and she simply wants to know, you know what, what happened to him. I was just here. I, I embalmed him with his mom, and, and, and we put him in this tomb. We wrapped him here. Like, where is he? So it's evident that she's there because she loves him, but it's also evident she's there because she didn't completely understand who Jesus was and what needed to happen. She heard these lessons multiple times when Jesus said, I I need to go to Jerusalem. And the reason why he needed to go to Jerusalem And we've shared this message multiple times during Lent that Jesus needed to go to Jerusalem so that everything written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. And he taught this to his disciples repeatedly, that Jesus needed to die, otherwise there will never be the forgiveness of sins. That Jesus needed to resurrect from the dead, otherwise there will never be victory over death because the wages of sin is death victory over darkness to bring people to light, victory over bondage, victory over sin. And so she was like all the others who just fully didn't understand the gospel. And it's why Jesus then invested even more time after his resurrection to teach them again in his resurrected form so they'd understand the gospel more fully. And you can read all about this starting with the the fellows that are on the road to Emmaus and he goes from Moses all the way through the Bible, sharing about himself again, like telling them again. And so he spends a few weeks with the disciples going through this all over again. You see, we don't have the power of the gospel unless we understand this very thing of Easter Sunday, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead brings us our forgiveness of sins. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. It is a dead religion. Now, some of you may believe in Easter. Some of you may even believe in Jesus Christ, but somehow it has lost its grip on you. It has lost its power on you because it has just become some routine thing that you've just been going to church for many years, weekly, and you've just kind of lost it. It has no influential power over your life anymore, and maybe you need to question how you understand the Bible. Maybe you need to go back on that Emmaus road and have Jesus kind of like put his hands around your shoulders and walk you through the Bible so that you can understand what happened. One of the ways you can tell that you've probably lost some influential power in your life is that you haven't shared the gospel recently. You're just kind of living your routine life. Because if you do truly know what the gospel is about, then you know what the Great Commission is at the end of Matthew. You know what we have to do. And if you haven't unleashed the gospel from your own testimony of darkness like Mary Magdalene, then maybe it's just another story for you just like it is for many people. Does the gospel have a hold, a grip on your life? The reason Jesus died was to free you from the darkness of sin and everything that is associated with that. Any form of guilt, any form of shame, bondage, oppression. Many people think that, you know, if I just reject religion, then then that's a sign of strength. I, I don't need that crutch. Rejecting Christ is not a sign of strength. It is not a sign of health. It is not a sign of courage. It is a sign that you are still in darkness. That's what it is. And as long as one is in darkness, it is impossible to love Jesus. It is impossible for you to trust in Jesus if you don't trust Him already. Because you need the Holy Spirit to work in your own belief, as well as your unbelief. And you can't will this on your own. You need Christ to reveal himself to you like he revealed himself to Mary Magdalene. Picking up the story in John chapter 20, verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? He said the same thing as angels. I don't know what's going on here, but okay. Uh, It's a question I have for him. Like, what do you mean, Jesus? Like, I thought, you know, but anyway. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. One word. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Isn't this interesting? Mary doesn't recognize Jesus seeing him. She, she sees him with his own eyes and she thinks he's a gardener. Like, That's pretty messed up. But then you got to kind of wonder like, how can she recognize him really, right? The last time she saw him he was bloodied and beaten and bruised and hanging on a cross and she's the one that kind of helps embalm him and makes him look, you know, it cleans him up. She's not expecting perfection. She's expecting a bloody, beat-up guy. Until he said, Mary. Take a look at John chapter 10, starting in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand and all Jesus had to say was Mary and it clicked for her I think at that moment she also knew my darkness indeed will never return those demons will never return into my life forever because I have eternal life with Christ, that no one is going to be able to snatch me from his hand, that I'm not going to perish. You see, there are people who don't want to be in the presence of Christ for eternity, and Christ will give them that dignity. Christ will give them that respect to their wishes. But there is a place called hell for that. That is essentially hell. That is essentially what heaven and hell are. Heaven is being in the presence of Christ, and hell is being in the absence of Christ. That's the Christian definition. And I know that there are many people out there who want to define what heaven and hell are, or that they just reject the whole existence of it all. Now, you and I... We know that we had no influence in coming into this world. Right? You had no say in how you and I are here. Your mom and dad came together and you are here. But you had nothing to do with it. Right? You, you had nothing to do with it. Another thing we have no control of is leaving this world. Like, we, we don't know. We don't know. I, I, I wasn't here last week because I was at a funeral. I was. Uh, at my aunt's funeral. No one had any idea that she was going to pass away. Like she, it wasn't a long sickness, it wasn't anything like that. It was, she had some lung issues, went into the emergency room, was in ICU for a week and that was it. Like, there's no disease, there's nothing like What happened? So we don't have any say in how we come into this world. We don't have any say when we leave this world. So this is like the really strange thing for me when people think that you can determine what happens to you after you die. How did that logic happen? You have no say in how you came, you have no say in how you leave, but all of a sudden you can determine that there's a heaven and a hell and how you get there and what you do and all this kind of stuff. Like how does that even happen? See, our Creator determined when you're going to be in this world. He knows the very hairs on your head. He knows when you're going to take your last breath. The options for an afterlife are heaven, being in his presence, or it's hell, being absent of his presence. And this is the reality of life, death, and the afterlife, that we will either hear the voice of Jesus and recognize that voice, or you won't. You will recognize Jesus' voice, or you won't. Now, this morning, do you hear your name being called by Jesus? Do you hear it? To rejoice with the millions who rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Now, if you desire to have belief in Jesus Christ as your Savior, He will reveal Himself to you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. The voice of Jesus is the difference of you being set free into light or remaining in darkness. Not just for today, but for all of eternity. And so when you hear his voice, The hope is that you will respond like Mary in John chapter 20, verse 16. Rabboni, which means teacher, but there are other synonyms for this. Master, Lord, Savior. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. He's calling out to you. Even if you don't know him today and you hear his voice, that means you're invited. You're invited out of darkness and into light. He is risen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we see a resurrected Savior who has overcome the sting of death. Our hope lies in you. We thank you for this divine plan that you had to bring us out of darkness and into light. I pray, Lord, that folks' hearts are not hardened toward you and they can hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have communion elements, let's take those out. And if you don't, just raise your hand and we can get that to you. And we'll first take out the wafer on the the top there. This is a symbol of the broken body of Christ for us. That Passover supper meal where he is telling disciples to take this until his return. And so we take this in remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for us. Let's take this together. And the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. His promise to return for us and for him to partake with us upon his return. But until that, we do this together. Let's take this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for these... Simple reminders, yet so powerful, that bring us all together and that keep us focused on the most important things, and that is you and you crucified. Today we celebrate your victory over death. Thank you, in your name, amen.